Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you are here to join us today. We are going to be talking with Emily Chrisley, who is over in the UK. She's an author of the new book, One Puzzling Afternoon, which is making its US uh, debut. But before I introduce you to her, I always want to introduce people to a couple of support groups that I do. Uh, One is Arthur's Memory Cafe. We meet the second and fourth Wednesday of each month virtually. Uh, from about one to three. And if you're interested in that, just reach out to me. You can email me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimerspeaks.com. Also, the last Wednesday of the month, we do a Caregiver Connect, which also offers respite for your loved ones. Uh, We meet in person at the Shoreview Community Center here in Minnesota. And if you are interested in that, again, just reach out to me and I can get you more details on that. I would also encourage you to visit our website, alzheimerspeaks.com. There you'll find one whole section just filled with free educational resources. You will also find our book tab for Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care, And I would also recommend that you check out Dementia Map, our global resource directory. And again, that's just at DementiaMap.com. So let me go ahead and introduce you to Emily. Emily Critchley uh, has her first class BA in creative writing and an MA with distinction on creative writing. And uh, like I said, she lives over in the UK where she works as a librarian. She has been nominated for the Carnegie Medal, uh, long listed for the Brantford Bows, and was a book of the week in the Sunday Times. Her book, again, that we're going to be talking about today is One Puzzling Afternoon. So welcome, Emily. I'm thrilled that we were able to make our, our time zones work and be able to spend some time this afternoon So thank you for being with us. Thank you, Laurie. It's so nice to be here and just to be a a very small part of the the wonderful work that you're doing. Well, I'm I'm really interested to learn about your book. But before I get started, I always ask everyone if they have been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. Sure. Okay. So when I was, um, so I started writing this book in 2020 and um when i was writing the book um no i i there was nobody in my family not in my close family um who who had um dementia um now there is somebody actually in my extended family that that has received a dementia diagnosis but that wasn't the case as i said when i was when i was first writing the book okay wonderful thank you for sharing that why don't you tell us a little bit about the book people are going to want to know is this real or or not um, is this your life story? What what kind of book is it to start out with? Sure, yeah. So 
So it's a book about um, an 84-year-old woman, Edie Green, and Edie um, goes to the post office one day just to buy some stamps, but she sees standing outside the post office her best friend from childhood, Lucy Theddle. Only Lucy looks exactly the same as she did in 1951 when the girls were at school together. And of course, Edie is very confused about this, and we learn that she's she's getting quite confused at the moment, and she thinks, um, well, how can this be? And she also, she has this feeling that there's something maybe she's forgotten or something about Lucy that she should know. And it becomes really important to Edie for various reasons to try and, um, to try and figure this out. You know, why is she seeing Lucy? What does she know about Lucy? And she just can't get Lucy out of her mind. And the book is a dual timeline novel. So we have in present day, 2018, Edie, and um, we see Edie on her kind of quest, her mission to solve the mystery of Lucy's disappearance. Edie does remember that Lucy went missing in 1951, that no trace of her was ever found. And she kind of sets off on this mission to solve the mystery of Lucy's disappearance. And this includes tracking down various people from the past, including a, a now retired police detective. And then we go back to the 50s and we see Edie and Lucy and um, their friendship develop. And we learn that uh, Lucy has some some quite dark secrets. And maybe I should say that you know, when I started writing the book, I knew, first of all, that I really wanted to write a book about an older female character. That that felt important to me. Um, I do quite often like to write characters who are who I feel on the margins of society a little bit. And I, I quite like to write teen characters and then to go to the other um, end of the spectrum, I suppose, and to write from the perspective of elderly characters. So I, I'd been, been feeling for some time that I really want to write a novel from an older female perspective. and But that was all I had, really. And then the second thing that I had was just the opening sentences of the book, which is the, the bit when Edie goes to the post office, she sees Lucy there. And I felt, and I didn't know why she was seeing her at that point. And it wasn't until I got about probably two or three chapters in that I thought, gosh, even, you know, for somebody of 84, she, she is getting quite confused. Um, and I and I and it began to dawn on me and I thought, oh, she's perhaps got Alzheimer's. And that felt like a route that I, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to take. It felt like quite a, quite a lot of responsibility for me to write a character with Alzheimer's. But I felt like you know the book was sort of saying to me um Emily you should do this <laughs> like I think you need to do this this is what the book's telling me to do don't be scared of this don't shy away from this um and so I, I you know I went with it I didn't know exactly how the book was going to pan out I had a few ideas but I just I just sort of went with it well, you know once you kind of made that decision did you research it at all or talk with people that had gone through experiences real life with dementia yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I thought was, right, well, I've got to, you know, I have, um, you know, what I think I know from seeing dementia and Alzheimer's, you know, portrayed through the media. But now I need to to read a little bit deeper. So I, I read everything I could, um, particularly on the, um, the National Health Service website here in the UK, you know, information for people with recent diagnosis, um, information for carers. And then I read... Um, I read a few books. I read a memoir called um, Somebody I Used to Know by Wendy Mitchell, and she's written a few books now. And she was diagnosed um, with dementia, Wendy, um, before she retired, so, you know, fairly young. 
and um, and she was able to, to, with some help, to write um, this memoir, Somebody I Used to Know. And she worked for the NHS, actually. She was um, an NHS worker. And that one I found particularly useful because it was a sort of first-person narrative, like my book. So somebody who's going through it and who's experiencing, like Edie is, Edie, my character in One Puzzling Afternoon, is at a similar stage in her dementia where it's still quite early on and she's getting... Um, these moments of kind of you know clearness and, and lucidity and then these moments of quite confusion um where she's feeling quite confused so that that memoir was really was really great for me and then I read her second one um what I wish people knew about dementia and I read um I read a memoir of um about the writer Iris Murdoch so there's a British writer Iris Murdoch who who had Alzheimer's and this memoir was written by her husband John Bailey and this is um this is such a beautiful book actually so um Iris Murdoch was a lot further on in her dementia than Edie was but it was such a, a kind of beautiful portrait of a marriage and somebody caring for a loved one with dementia who had actually come to a point of kind of acceptance over the way that they lived you know in their daily existence together and I did find um that helpful as well so yeah, just I did my research really in the beginning. And then when I started to say to people, I can be a little bit superstitious in the beginning about a book about not saying to everyone what I'm writing or what I'm doing. But once I've got a first draft down, I tend to feel a bit more confident to people about saying, oh yeah, it's a mystery and it might be featuring a character with Alzheimer's. And as soon as I said that, you know, I, I, I still have a, a job and I work in a place with 200 people. And often I would say to somebody, you know, in the, in the staff room getting a cup of coffee, oh yeah, no, I'm doing this and they would say oh you know I have a relative with Alzheimer's and this is my experience so I just found that people were quite naturally you know once they learned that that was what I was writing about they were kind of quite willing to share experiences with me. Yeah it's nice that that has changed over the years that people feel more comfortable talking about it and um, you know I think your book will just elevate uh, that even more and I love that you mentioned uh, Wendy Mitchell's book because she, she does her um, her writings have been so significant. And Iris Murdoch and John Bailey, I don't think I've read theirs, but I'm going to have to look that up because uh, there are a lot of people with dementia or care partners that have written books that are helping so many. And uh, I don't know if you're part of the All's Authors. But they kind of curate a bunch of uh, a bunch of um, people who have written about it. Might be a group that you want to reach out to and mm -hmm. um, be featured with. And and I don't know if they only want people that have actually walked the journey or not. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it it might be an interesting um, group to talk to because they they do a lot of neat things and. Uh, everything doesn't have to be real, you know, to help somebody <laughs> needless to say uh, in, in this world as a whole. Um, when you were, you know, writing the book itself, um, I know you've, you've written other books. How do you, I guess, what, what draws you in? Do you find a, a healing or a creativity or what happens when you're in that mode and you just start writing a story? Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing. I think voice pulls me in. If I get a character who I, and I feel that they're speaking to me and I feel that their voice is strong enough to go a whole book, um, then that really excites me. And I think, oh, I've got a character. I've got a sense of a voice. I might not know everything yet. I might not have a whole story. I need that to kind of un unravel over a certain, you know, period of time. 
Um, but it's really, yeah, that voice and that sense of character uh, that I think I'm, I'm kind of first drawn to. You know, if you were talking to our audience member, and maybe there's somebody out there thinking about wanting to um, write, what would your recommendations be? I mean, I know there's all different styles. Some people feel like they have to have the title first. Some people feel they have to have the chapters first. Some people just get a blank piece of paper and start writing and then swish it all together after the fact. What's Mm. your mode and what do you recommend? I think there's, you know, there's no one way to write a book and I have done it different ways as well. So I know I've done it making it up as I go along. I've done it with a kind of rough outline in front of me. Um, there is no right or wrong way. I think you just have to start, you know, today is a good a day as any to just pick up a pen and write a few lines. And whether you're writing fiction or whether you want to start um you know, with something more kind of um, reflective about about yourself and your life. It doesn't matter, you know, just start writing. I think it's just like a, a muscle memory. The more you do it, the more you get used to doing it. If you sit down every day and say, okay, I'm going to write for 20 minutes, I might write the opening of a story or something about my life or about the dream I had last night. But I think it's just... Um, getting into that habit of writing. And then once you've built up that habit, then you can start thinking about perhaps putting together a kind of longer project. And and novels and memoirs, you know, they do take some time. So you need to kind of be prepared that um, if you're working on a story or some characters that you're probably going to be with them for a couple of years and then you're probably going to have to talk about them for the next year after that. So you want to make sure that, um, that you enjoy spending time with them. And it is kind of like, hanging out with your characters when you're when you're writing and editing your book but I think yeah there's you know and it's never too late to start you know there are so many writers actually started later in life and are probably you know written better books because of it I think you need some life experience behind you when you write so it absolutely doesn't matter you can start I think anytime any age it's just about having that confidence to put pen to paper or to type something but the great thing about writing is nobody has to see it initially it can be just for you until you're ready and when you are ready there are usually um in most communities you know so many kind of supportive writing groups where you can go along you can share your work and um and people can give you feedback and it can be quite difficult the first time you walk into a situation like that but then once you've been a few times and you get to know people and you become more confident about sharing your work I think those kind of writing circles can be really helpful too yeah I I know I've signed up for a few like writing classes here and at first I was really intimidated and then it was just like you get in those groups and everybody is just so open to yeah. hearing what everyone's doing and all of a sudden you're you're reading your story and you're looking and, and people are laughing or they're crying or yeah. but you've touched them somehow or you have these conversations afterwards and they have suggestions that are just you know very kind and helpful and things that you know, you didn't think of before because you haven't done it before, you know, and hadn't heard about it. So yeah, I I found those, um, I I found the writing classes really interesting. In fact, I've been thinking I need to get back to those again. I I don't think it's something that it's a one and done thing. I think you can do it forever if you want to um, and can find it, find it really helpful. I also think, um, you know, in, in this space alone, I mean, there's so many different types of books that can be written for families, for professionals, for people living with dementia. Um, some people start out with just writing down isms, which are just phrases that maybe somebody said. 
and it's not your normal storytelling thing. It's just isms with maybe um, illustrations to go with. I mean, there's, there's, it, that's what's so cool with books. I mean, there's so many different ways to, yeah. to be able to publish um, and, and go about it in, and tell a story in, in many, many different fashions. So I think for many, it, they think it's so structured and it has to be perfect. And, you know, oh, I'm not a good speller. I'm not good at grammar. And so those are, those are kind of excuses to throw it, um, throw it away and not try or, or I don't type, you know, and I don't know about you, but I find for me, I'm better pen and paper writing than I am on the computer initially, and then I'll transfer it over. But I find I'm, I'm like more creative or more in tune when I'm holding a pen and paper. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yeah, I find that too. I make most of my notes on pen and paper, actually. Um, and I've got a really nice pencil. That I like. <laughs> and I find that when I'm, you know, sometimes when I'm away from my computer, I get my best ideas, actually, or I get snippets of dialogue come to me or a vague idea for a scene, and I'll write it down. And I think that's how I first started. Actually, I first started with paper and pen. Now, when I'm working on a longer novel, I will work on it um, on the screen. But quite often, I'm working from notes that I've made with mm -hmm. paper and pen. Um, and I think, you know, when I first started writing, like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a good speller. I'm still not a good speller, particularly, you know, I think you just have to let, not let these things hold you back. Um, I think what I discovered, you know, when I first walked into a kind of writing, I wasn't even a class, you know, just a group really, was that I wrote something and afterwards everybody sat there for a moment and they went, wow, that was really sad. And I said, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel sad. But then, but then I thought, well, actually you know I've created an emotion in somebody I've made somebody feel something and it was that first time when everybody said to me oh wow you know I really felt something reading your work that I thought oh I want to carry on doing this I don't know where it's going to take me yet but I know that I want to carry on doing this oh neat neat well if you are just tuning we have been talking with Emily Crachley who has written the wonderful book called One Puzzling Afternoon and you can find her by going to her website, which is just her name.com. She is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And, you know, we've been talking not only a little bit about her book, but just writing in general. How do you get started? I know in most people, they've had that thought about maybe I should write something down and then we get scared off and trying to break that down and simplify it and give you some support along that way as well. I wanted to talk to you about, uh, kind of jump back into the book again, in terms of, you know, when you started writing about uh, 
Edie's uh, son. Where did your mind go with all of that? Yeah, so I've got, um, there are various scenes in the book between Edie and her son, Daniel. And um, and Daniel, he, he gets a bit frustrated with Edie at times. And this was something that, that worried me, actually. I thought, oh, Reed is going to find Daniel not very likable because he does get frustrated with his mum. And I worried about, you know, trying to perhaps tone down some of the dialogue. And then the more research I did, the more I thought, well, he probably would, you know, he would be getting frustrated. I think it's incredibly hard for caregivers. You're still always searching, I think, what I've read for that, you know, with trying to make a connection with somebody, trying to kind of get that shared reality back all the time. No, I told you this. No, you know, um, because it is upsetting and frustrating. And the thing about my book is that it's in um, first person from Edie's perspective. So unfortunately, you know, we're not privy to those moments where, Daniel leaves his mum's house, gets in the car and drives home and thinks, oh, God, why did I keep going on about that? Why did I try and tell her a million times that I've told her that before? And, you know, the kind of um, the internal conflict that I think caregivers must have and the guilt that I think they must feel at times for just, you know, having a difficult day, overstepping the mark slightly, saying something that they know probably isn't going to bring any results, but they still feel that they have to say it anyway. Um but I, you know, I left those scenes in and those little bits of confrontation in because I think we see, well, we see both Edie's and Daniel's frustration, really. Um, so, yeah, I just tried to, to render that dialogue as, as best I could from what I had read. Yeah, and I think um, I'm glad that you did leave it in there because that is real. You know, that is part of most people's story. Everyone isn't even keeled all the time. I mean, it would kind of be like if you had a magic pill that always kept you at that level but I mean we get up you know and pop out of bed we could be in a really good mood we get in the car and someone cuts us off and we get in bad <laughs> mood and stuff and, and it changes and that's that's real life you know that's that's the world we live in and so I think it's important to address those emotions I think it helps people not feel so alone when they're going through those because our inner critic I think can beat us up you know, and that guilt can just kind of keep mounting that you're not good enough and, and you need to do better. And what are you do? What are you doing? I mean, there's just so many things that swirl around our heads when we get when we let that inner critic kind of take over. And, um, and then all that stuff comes out as we care for somebody, um, they can feel our frustration or our anger at ourselves, not necessarily them, you know, mm. and, um, but they can't make make heads nor hair out of the difference between mm -hmm. who are you mad at and what are you upset about and they just can feel that that vibrational difference and and then they mimic it back at us and then we get mad because they're in a bad mood when they were fine before we walked in the door <laughs> you know yeah. so often so I so I'm really glad that you did um did put that in there what what is your hope in terms of writing this book for people to to take away I think, you know, I always hope when I write that somebody somewhere will see something of themselves reflected in fiction. I think we should, you know, all of us should be able to see ourselves re reflected in fiction. So I hope that somebody somewhere might just think, oh, okay, I'm not quite so alone. And that's what I always hope for with my fiction, whether I'm writing from the perspective of, you know, a teenager or an older person, just that somebody could maybe just for the short time when they're reading it, not even the book, just maybe one particular scene that they just feel um like yeah just a little bit less alone and like there's they've made a connection you know to this book that's what I would really really hope for 
Do you ever see any of your books, including this one, maybe becoming a film at all or? Oh yeah, I would I would love that. Yeah, I I do think One Puzzling Afternoon could work quite well actually, even as a, either as a film or maybe a sort of a two part drama. I think it I think it could work well. Yes, I'm 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 definitely waiting for the Netflix rights. <laughs> very nice. I think no, I think it could. I think it could. I think it would need gosh a fantastic actress. I think to play um to play Edie or somebody with dementia. I don't know if you saw the the film The Father. Um, with Anthony Hopkins, I thought that was a fantastic portrayal of dementia, elderly man's dementia. Um, and, I, and actually, yeah, I watched that film. I was editing by then, so I couldn't take that much inspiration with it because most of my book was sort of done by then. But I thought, gosh, how incredible to kind of see on the screen um, somebody moving between those different realities. And I just thought, wow, that's so incredible. So I think it, I think it could work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we're seeing more films um, being made about this. Um, and even in just nightly, you know, TV shows and stuff, they're incorporating uh, characters into this. But I think it's a way that it, it addresses the conversation in a way that people aren't expecting because they're when they go to a film, they're expecting to be entertained. Um, and I know I've been involved with a couple of um films where we do talkbacks and stuff and people leave i mean just really engaged wanting to talk more on the topic and to me that's a huge huge plus when we can remove some of those stigmas and then have a really interesting conversation um, about a really serious topic that doesn't always get that type of attention um, in in in-depth kind of conscious focus which i think is is really really needed uh, with yes. dementia throughout the world. So we'll put that out there. If someone's looking to uh, do a film, you know, reach out to Emily and talk to her about that. And then we'll see what the universe brings back to you. What's <laughs> that? So that would be, that would be fun. Do you see um, doing more books on this avenue at all? Or do you see this kind of as a one and done book? No, I would, I would like to do more. I think I'm very interested in in memory, and often I've, I'm finding when I'm thinking of ideas and things that I have these sort of themes around memory and what happens. Um, you know, if with memory loss, are you still are you still you? You know, if you don't if you don't have your memories, so I think memory loss is certainly something that I will I will do that I will put into my fiction again. And then, yeah, I would like to explore it further. It's difficult, so I don't want you know. Um, I don't know if my publisher would say, oh, another book about a character with dementia, but it does appeal to me, particularly as now that I've become interested in the subject. I'm, you know, I, I I like to keep up to date with, you know, research and I'm reading more. I've started a book, um, I've got it on my desk, Travelers to Unimaginable Lands, which I thought was just really, really amazing. And I thought, oh, I wish I'd read this whilst I was writing the book. But of course, you can only you can only read what's available at the time. So I think, yeah, I would like to maybe maybe I might have to wait a couple of books before I bring back another character with dementia. Um, but yeah, definitely, I, I would like to. Okay, great. Well, and I loved in your your um, opening, you had a quote from um, Oscar Wilde, and it said, let's see if I can read it here. Memory is the diary we all carry with us. I love that. I never heard that quote before yeah. Um, yeah. in your book. And one of the things, too, I want to mention is that you use a little um, larger print than some and a little more spacing, which I think is really appreciated. Uh, I know I'm 64 in older eyes, and, 
<laughs> that is that is much much appreciated. Um, with this, what kind of feedback have you gotten from people so far on the book? Well, it's been yeah, really really nice feedback so far. It's always yeah, it's always a difficult decision whether to read your reviews or not. You know, uh-huh. um, you read the ones that come through from the publishers if it's been reviewed in a magazine or something like that. But the more general kind of Goodreads and Amazon reviews, I sometimes like I tend to sort of read them with like one eye open just to have a, like a little quick look. Um, but most people, you know, friends, family, anybody that I work with who's read it, the response has been um, really, really nice. And there are some some really lovely reviews out there. And I agree about the book. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I love the cover. I liked the typeset that they used as well in the US edition. Um, and even I, you know, I sometimes I used to buy a lot of, um, you know, books from charity shops and things. But I find that sometimes the print is really small in those older books. And um, I actually quite like a hardback just for the space and the bigger print. So I don't know if that was a conscious decision on the part of the publisher, but I do think it's a really nice um, font, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I definitely agree. Anything else that you want to share with our audience that we haven't covered so far? Oh, um, oh, I don't know. Just I guess on a more kind of um, personal note, because I was thinking the other day about um, you know why did I chose to write to write about a character with dementia when at the time I didn't know anybody with the condition, and um, and I I sort of I couldn't think why what you know why I might have done it and then I started to think more recently that actually before I was writing the book I had been through um, a really unexpected period of illness that had left me feeling really confused and like I'd really lost my sense of self and I I didn't make the connection for quite a long time it's probably not a good idea to keep psychoanalyzing ourselves but I did think oh recently oh well maybe that's why I chose to write about a character who was feeling very confused and experiencing a loss of self it wasn't you know I didn't pick the the illness of the condition that I had um but I it sort of made began to make more sense to me as to why I might have um yeah why I might have chosen to write from the perspective of somebody feeling quite disorientated so that was just an interesting kind of mini personal revelation that came to me quite recently really because sometimes when you're writing a book it's hard to figure out why am I writing this now why this story it's almost like it's so close to you it's hard and your life that's happening around the book at the same time as you're writing the book is obviously so close to you it's sort of hard to gain perspective but then when you look back and you think oh I was writing that book at that time in my life you think oh yeah of course I was you know um so that was just a interesting revelation well and I think like with dementia what I've learned is what's good for dementia is good for all of the world and I think it's it overlaps so many other conditions just like you were saying you know so if you if you learn something here it's applicable over here too and sometimes Sometimes we're not comfortable talking about our own little piece of the world. It's easier to talk about it in a different, in a different frame. Um, and yet it still, it, it still portrays the same thing, you know, yeah. just in a, in a different light gets people thinking about that. I know um, with the book that I just wrote called Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care, you know, it's a children's book. And when I wrote it, I thought it was all about Alzheimer's because I, it came to me in a dream and all I saw was Alzheimer's and I heard the word Alzheimer's and I saw a, a bald chicken and, you know, I put the story together. But what was interesting is by the time I finally got it published, like 10 years later, I realized it's not about dementia. It's just about when you don't feel like you fit in or belong. Mm-hmm. And how do you assess that within yourself? How do you assess that within others? How do you 
treat people? You know, how do you do you help them or do you walk away? You know, are you judgmental or aren't you? I mean, there's all those all those things, and um, it is very interesting yes. um, how things can switch up and how you view things differently over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's so much overlap, and and just when we're talking about caring. You know, compassion, I think, is something that's kind of been a lost art right now in our world. And, you know, that can be brought back in many levels and really help society at large as well as individuals. If we can teach that, if we can show that, if we can lead by example in all different fashions, because everybody learns a little bit different and is drawn to different things. So I you know, I appreciate you writing about this this story and sharing this um, because people will, even though it's fictional, you've really created a, a real life story um, for many to to follow and get engaged with, and that's that's all a good thing. Oh, thank you, Lori. Thank you. In wrapping up again, Emily, I just really appreciate your your time with us today. Uh, I always like to ask my audience to be a giver of hope. And like and click and share this episode. Share it with others. Many people are looking for good books to read. Here's here's one for you. Again, one puzzling afternoon. And um, and pass it along. There's always somebody who needs to learn more. So, you know, whatever you've learned today, don't keep it to yourself. Share those nuggets. Let other people learn as well. Let them pass it along. Let them feel comforted and, and not alone that's what living in community is all about. You know, it takes no time. It takes no money. It's just that one little push of the button. You can change somebody's life by giving them kind of that lifeline that they needed in that moment. And again, you can go to um, Emily's website, uh, which is emilychrishley.com. She's on Facebook. Uh, I still call it Twitter, though it's X. (laughs) And um, Instagram as well. And, um, you know, feel free to, to reach out to her, purchase the book. Uh, she's over in the UK, uh, but the book is launched here in the US as well. And um, maybe, maybe you'll become a fan and want to purchase one of her other books as well. So uh, please, please check her out. And again, Emily, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, so lovely to be here. Thank you. Finally, I just want to, again, point you in the direction of alzheimerspeaks.com. Lots of free educational resources. You can grab there. Just go to that free educational uh, tab. Uh, You can also check out our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care. And of course, don't forget about Dementia Map. Uh, that has over 150 categories that you can search. Lots of wonderful information. Just DementiaMap.com. We'll see you next week, everyone. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.